Before Ian comes up to speak to us, we're going to read Acts chapter 12. It's on page 1106 in the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the feast of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God 
an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So it's quite a story, isn't it? And uh, I figured that it's a prayer and praise evening, and we have prayed, and we've certainly praised, and I want to talk about prayer, and uh, because this story really started with prayer. Uh, God's miraculous provision started with prayer, with believers praying. And Acts is, um, is I love the book of Acts. Um, it's a great story of fact, a uh, story of the church from birth to a real powerhouse. You know, there wasn't many in the beginning, and look just what the God used and did through them. And Luke records how a handful of these frightened believers, they rocked the Roman Empire. They were seen as a threat. If Acts is the story of the church, and Acts 12 is the story of the church in crisis, which you could argue is, is the state of the church at this time. The Jerusalem church had grown rapidly. They'd faced persecution. Now their leaders were facing execution. And I wonder, if we were in that situation, how we'd react. There's an account um, of the Eastern European church before the fall of the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall. And church meetings had been outlawed. Uh, pastors were put in prison. Some of them had disappeared, never to be seen again. Uh, but one significant underground church, because the church had to go underground because of the level of persecution, they still continued to meet. And suddenly one night, uh, as they were meeting in this location, the, burst, uh, the door burst open and two armed soldiers appear. And they said, you know you're not supposed to be meeting like this. We could kill all of you. And the other soldier said, no, we can't kill all of them. Let, let some go. And the first soldier turned to the crowd of worshippers and barked the order, all of you who really believe this Christian stuff, you stay here. The rest who are ready to give up this myth of God, you can leave and you can live. Now go. And many of the scared church members picked up their bags, they rushed through the door and out they went. Once they were gone, the soldier shut the door and bolted it. He turned to the remaining believers and said in a very calm voice, we too are followers of Jesus. Now that the unbelievers are gone, it's safe. We came to join you in worship. I don't know if that's true or not. It's an often told story. But I wonder what I would do or what you would do if the same circumstances happen. I hope we never have to find out. I hope our children never have to find out. Maybe, though, when facing a crisis, we're, we're encouraged to picket um, a jail or start a petition a lobby, a local MP maybe, all these things are good. Some might begin efforts to start a Christian political party, you never know. If the preacher was arrested, um, I wonder what you'd do. Maybe you just uh, quickly uh, start a search team, a committee to uh, find a new one, forgetting the old one. Who knows? You certainly wouldn't want a preacher with a criminal record, would you? Some churches might begin to point fingers, blame one another. Church members might whine and complain. Many would conclude all was lost. What's the point in this belief? And the fact is, the church today has many advantages over that early church that we're reading about in this account, that first century church. We have more money, we have more buildings, we have a freer government, especially in this country. We have more political powers and influence. We have more Bibles, we have more tools. We have padded pews or comfortable chairs. We have good-looking preachers. (laughs) Heating sound systems, guitars, drums, pianos. We have so many advantages. But that first century church, they've got us beat, hands down, in one thing. 
an all-important category. They knew how to pray. They really knew how to pray. They had to trust God in prayer. They didn't have all this stuff. I'm not against it. I love it. But they didn't have it. They just had prayer and the power of God. They believed that prayer was such a powerful force that it could overrule even the most powerful opponent. They knew God's power against opposition and in their lives. It wasn't an add-on. It was everything. Let's go back to that first century church. They're faced with a crisis. They did the most revolutionary thing available to them. They appealed to God. We say that God is all-powerful. Why aren't we appealing to him more? They appealed to the God of heaven to overrule the laws of kings. That church was carried on the backs of those prayers. The church was born in a prayer meeting in Acts 1. It grew because it believed the power of prayer was the secret of their existence. It was their source. It was their life. It was life given to them. And I think if we could just get a piece of that, passion and confidence in prayer, uh, God will use us um, really powerfully. We see glimpses of it because we only glimpse prayer. We've seen prayers answered. Not always the way we want, but we do see them answered. We have seen miracles. And we want more, but we need to pray more and be convinced that our prayers work. And then we can experience a bit of what they did. R.G. Lee was a fiery Baptist evangelist of a previous, much previous generation. And uh, he said, I found this sort of poem. Uh, it's quite strong, but it's, it, I think it's correct. Um, if all the sleeping folk would wake up, if all the lukewarm folk would fire up, if all the dishonest folk would confess up, if all the disgruntled folk would smile up, if all the estranged folk would make up, if all the gossipers would shut up, if all the true soldiers would stand up, if all the dry bones would shake up, if all the church members will pray up, then we'll have your revival. That's what he said. Not to you. I'm saying it to you. So the prayer for the Christian, as followers of Jesus, it must be a, our first impulse, mustn't it? Not a last resort. We had an evening service here uh, probably a year ago now. And um, we had a time of sharing, as we do sometimes. And I think about five or six people shared. And we'd spoken about prayer that, that evening. And uh, these, these were, I'm not uh, calling them out on it because I've done the same. These are mature Christians. And they said suddenly on that evening, God had convicted them that there were things that had been going on for five, six, seven months. And they'd been really worried about it. And they realized that evening they'd never prayed about it. Something stopped on someone. We get distracted. We have to challenge ourselves. And I want to ask us, you know, if we do really believe prayer is the lifeblood of the church, I want you to ask yourselves, not just me or the elders or any leader, ask yourselves, how can you and how can we become more of a praying church that has utter reliance on the power of prayer to change lives and change communities? We see it, we see it, but somehow there's a barrier. There's, there's always something else to do. There's the busyness of uh, our Southeast England life. And often it can be seen as a last resort. It should be our first thing. How often have I said, all we can do now is pray? That's so bad. No, what we can do now is pray. And that's the best thing. That's not the only thing we're left with. That's what we should be starting with. And using Acts 12 as a kind of a case study, let's look for some answers to these questions. What happens when the church prays? And this is what I want, and Ian is a big advocate for us in the church, for prayer. He'd long to see more people on Tuesday morning and a, and a Tuesday evening. It's not the only place we pray. We pray devotionally. We pray in our church services. You can pray in your DG groups. But when the church 
comes together or individually and prays and has this attitude of prayer, then it's powerful. My, uh, revivals broke out when I read of the, the, the kind of the fathers of the faith, the famous Christians. Mostly they've been on their knees in prayer and they've just waited until the Holy Spirit hits them. It could take six hours. They just refused to let go of God until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they had passionate, amazing ministries. So what happens when the church prays? And we're going to look at this passage. Uh, the first thing is God hears. We need to know that God does hear every prayer. We don't understand all the things of God. We can't. We're not God. We don't understand why some prayers, well, they're all answered, but some are not the way that we want them to be, and some are. But the first thing that happens when the church prays is that God hears, and that's the heart of the Bible faith. Prayer is not the first thing about us, but about, it's not the first for, for us, it's about a God that hears It's not about us. It's about God who hears us. Prayer works because God has promised to hear us. They're not just empty things that he might pick one or two up on so we can sort of have no passion in our prayers. He hears them. And we can get rid of any idea of a a new age spirituality which is becoming more and more fashionable. You know, the word uh, spirituality has been hijacked like the St. George's flag means you're a racist or whatever it is. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that. But spirituality, the word's been hijacked by false doctrine, by false people leading people away from God. The word spirituality originally was anything to do with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. If I said the word spirituality on Billericay High Street, probably the last place they'll think of is the church. And we need to recapture that. We're a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. And God's here in our prayers. So we need to get rid of any, that idea of new age spirituality or, or, or paganism or whatever it is, whereby right words and methods, we can force God to pay attention to us. God is paying attention to us. We have access because of the cross. Jesus has died for us and he's made us co-heirs with him. And we can speak to our Father in full confidence. So why aren't we speaking more? See, God is a willing participant in our prayers, personal or meetings. There's no reluctance on his part. It's normally on ours. The brilliant uh, scientist, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, he said this once, that he could take his telescope and look millions of millions of miles into space. But he said, but when I lay it aside, go into my room, shut the door, and get down on my knees in earnest prayer, I see more of heaven and feel closer to the Lord than if I were assisted by all the telescopes on earth. He said, any prayer can know that experience. It's an amazing truth. He listens and he responds. In my time, everyone prays slightly differently. My time in prayer, if I I spend that quiet time or I'm walking through the park just praying or or just in my bedroom or, dare I say, even in the bath sometimes, I'm just praying. I I love the corporate prayer. I love getting together. but, But my own personal time, and giving things to God, I mentioned it a little bit this morning, put it on his to-do list. Giving things to him. And then asking him, despite all circumstances, to give me peace. And, and that's a process sometimes, and sometimes it's immediate. But if I don't give him it, then I'm going to have to deal with it on my own. And I have to be close to God. And he's seen me through, and he's seen you through so many things. We need to come to him in prayer. So the first thing that we can learn from that church is God hears. They're not empty prayers. The enemy would love you to think that. Second thing is things change. There is is um, um, an outworking of the prayer. 
Second thing that happens when this church prayed, firstly, God hears. That's the foundation. Next, circumstances are altered. There's something significant, really, about the crisis that the church faced. James had been killed. Peter's been arrested. In all likelihood, Peter was going about to say, uh, uh, face the same fate as James. So the church, what did they do? They didn't break down the walls. They didn't raise a petition. They didn't lobby the PM. They didn't put trade sanctions on because the pastor's been in prison too long. They prayed. They prayed, and they prayed passionately. No doubt, this is the tough question, they prayed for James as well, and he died. So we don't know. But here they are praying. It raises questions. I've seen, I've seen people healed. I've been blessed, and probably you have as well. We've seen it in this church. I've seen it abroad. I've seen people delivered of addiction. I've seen people delivered of demons. I've seen people healed. And I've also seen many people disappointed. It's a tough theology, the one of suffering. And why, God? But our, our call is to pray. And in this occasion, they prayed. They knew all prayers are not answered in the manner desired. But that's God's decision. We're not God. So they prayed for Peter. We don't pray because we know for sure what we're going to get and whether we're going to get the outcome we asked for. We pray because we want God to make the choice because he is God and I'm not. And the fact is, he's asked me to pray. Why would I deny him? And look what happens. Peter is released from prison. As far as I know, they didn't have um, you know, the petitions and trade sanctions and everything else. It wasn't just that the church was comforted and made more accepting of the problem. It wasn't just that Peter had the courage to endure the hardship. They prayed to change the circumstances. And this is why, if we're going to be effective prayers in churches and have a be a praying church, we're not just looking for a change in our feelings and just say, well, God, can you help me to cope with it? Sometimes we have to say that. But it's not the only thing we do. We need to expect God to change the circumstances. He's done it before and he'll do it again. And a church that prays knows that when answers come from the hand of God, because all we said it was impossible, it's not just a coincidence, it's a God incidence. God has acted. It's not luck or chance. God acted. And he can change churches, which he's doing now. He can change nations. He can change your passion for him. He can give you renewed vigour. So the second thing is that things changed. Prayer, active prayer, passionate church, changes situation. The other thing that happened, which is interesting, this happens to me, and I'm glad it happened to them as well. Makes me feel a bit better. We're surprised when God answers our prayer. You know, have you ever prayed for someone to be healed and then not wanted to bump into them the next week? because they're going to tell you they've not been healed. And, you know, of course, we do see that, but we also see people healed. That was the third thing that happened when this church prayed. The same thing likely does happen to us today. Believers were surprised. They were surprised. What happened? Maybe there's hope for all of us. I know I get surprised. I, I, I almost, oh, right, oh, really? Oh, that did change. You know, I've prayed for people who have had bad backs, and the next day said, Smithy, you know, your God healed me. I prayed in deliverance ministry and seen people delivered. I prayed in others, and they haven't. I don't understand it. I've been into people's homes. We had one recently. Gary and I went, and Andrea, and I had to pray in their home because there was a spiritual evil force in the home. I was a bit worried to ask the next day how it had gone, but apparently it's going all right. I was surprised. 
We see people set free. I pray for passion when I preach before a service. And I'm surprised when sometimes I get it, sometimes with no energy. And afterwards, Andrew will tell you, I absolutely flake. Anyone who preaches will know that. Because there's one who comes against us. The prayer is a spiritual battle. Even when we fully believe in the power of prayer, we get surprised. I get surprised. Look how the church reacted. They gathered in a prayer meeting. They're calling on God for Peter and God heard. An angel was sent. Peter is surprised. Peter's surprised and had to be told by the angel what to do. When Peter went to the praying church after his release, no one wanted to believe the report. They're surprised. Surely the servant girl was seeing things. Even this church that believed in prayer was surprised at how God answered. Maybe they were surprised when God answered. Perhaps they expected Peter to be tried and then freed and God worked through all of that. They weren't expecting a heaven-sent jailbreak. And too often we can be surprised that God answers. Uh, In a book called Connecting with God, Herb Miller tells a story of a nightclub opening on a busy street in a small town. On hearing the news, the only church in that town organised an all-night prayer meeting. The members asked God to burn down the club. Within a few minutes, lightning struck the club and it burned to the ground. The club owner sued the church, which denied responsibility for the destruction of the club. After hearing both sides, the judge said, it seems that wherever the guilt may lie, the nightclub owner believes in prayer while the church doesn't. (laughs) Surprised or not, when the church on earth believes in prayer, things happen Sometimes in the heavenly realms, and we don't see it. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't say I read a lot of them. Someone once lent me uh, one of these Frank Peretti books, and I, I read it. Um, but it, I remember this image it gave me, and it was of all the demonic influence. And you can see that in the world. You can see it among our young people. You can see it with the lying politicians. You can see it in corrupt ministers. You can see it in the abuse that's gone on in churches. You can see the enemy at work all around and his, his angels, his demons, they're, they are, they're actively at work. And I remember reading this book and they were having their way a bit. I mean, I don't know if this is theologically correct or not, but it helped me. And they had their way and they're doing their bad stuff and the work. And two Christians, a pastor and one of his church members, just used to meet, whatever it was, on a Tuesday night for prayer. Um, I said Tuesday without even thinking about it, but it was a Tuesday night for prayer. And the demons recoiled and said, oh no, those two are praying again. And they were sent scattering. And I do think we underestimate the power of when Christians get together in prayer. I think Satan trembles when Christians get together in prayer. That's why it's so hard to get people motivated. or, Or when you start praying, your mind goes off and other thoughts. There's one who does not want you to unleash that power of the kingdom of God. Things happen in heaven and then on earth. Spurgeon once said, prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Although some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly, others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. When the church prays, leaders get emboldened. When we're, we, I know when people are praying for me. And Spurgeon actually had a group of ladies that used to go in the basement. They'd miss the service, praying for him the whole time. We haven't got a basement. I'm not encouraging you to do that. But pray for the leaders. Pray for the preachers. Pray for the services. Pray for the unbelievers. And then see what God does. 
Paul believed that prayer was important to his ministry. He said elsewhere, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The Apostle Paul needed prayer for his ministry. So does every minister in this land. Do you want to see your preachers, your elders, the missionaries that we have, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, set on fire with a bold effectiveness and power from heaven, then the power is within you. Pray for them. The the Bible actually says pray for them because they're going to have to give an account. It's going to be tough. You need to pray for them. Pray for them in the good times and the tough times. Pray for them when you agree with them and pray for them when you don't. Pray for them and await the miracle that God will send. And another thing that happened when that church prayed, the opposition was defeated. You know, we know the battle's been won. We're in this mopping up campaign, okay? Opponents get confused and affected and ultimately defeated when the church prays. Luke doesn't really make much of a point of it in Acts, but I think when you look at it, it's no great coincidence that he recalls what he did at the end of chapter 12. Herod, the great opponent of the faith, meets his maker in the passage that Tom read. Right after the church had been praying, he was an, his was a, a nasty fate, a direct result of his arrogance. We don't know, we're not told what the church prayed. They may have prayed for Herod's removal. Someone prayed for evil leaders to be removed earlier. They might have asked God to reveal his power to mighty Herod. They surely would have asked God to bring to nothing uh, all of the mighty powers aligned against the church. They would have prayed for power in the church against that evil. I wonder if Herod really knew what he was dealing with when Christians called down the power of God into situations. I wonder what would happen if this church prayed like that church prayed. I think we'd see amazing things. In the Christian life in the church, in good times or in crisis, there's only one safe and secure spot, whether metaphorically or physically, it's on our knees, praying to the Father who hears, answers and acts. I've just got some verses for you. I can't read them all, there's too many. And, uh, and time's getting on. But getting this important, just trying to, uh, as I'm finishing, get this feel for prayer through the book of Acts. I mean, it's all the way through the Bible. But Acts, the growth of that early church, the explosion of the church, 3,000 people in one day, over 3,000 getting baptised. Powerful preaching from people that have just, uh, just earlier been persecuted, but they've now they've been filled with the Spirit. And it's amazing. They're preaching so boldly. When they're put in front of people, they're saying, you can't stop us. We answer to God, not you. Acts one twenty four. then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They left decisions to God. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 3 verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 6 verse 4, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts 6, 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I've got, about, I've got so many verses, I won't go through them all. But it's all about prayer and God acting. I've got so many, I've got to swap my pages, here we go. So prayer, Spurgeon used to call it the engine room of the church. We don't want to be a ship that's rudderless and no power 
We want to be a ship that sails full of power, full of the grace of God, full of the, the anticipation of answered prayer. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for a, a possible associate minister. We need to be praying into our church meeting. We need to be praying what we do with the building. We need to pray in for healings. We need to pray in for gifts of the Spirit. We need to pray for God to make himself manifest in our services. We need to pray personally in our DG groups, at our prayer meetings, in our services, but boldly with an expectation, that, or, and knowing that God hears, but an expectation that he'll act. Because God is really closer than you think. He's here now. He's heard all these prayers this evening. But let's... I do feel as a church we're going to be looking at cultivating a spirit-filled life. And that's going to be really exciting. We look at the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and everything else. But let's, let's be really, in all of these things, everything we do, we've got to have this heart, this passion for prayer. I really believe God is saying that to us. We've got to be a prayer. We're, otherwise, we're, we're go, I, I will go forward in my own strength and so will you. We've got to come close to God in prayer. And I believe if we do that, then we'll see revival. Then we'll be filled to overflowing with the Spirit. Then our services will be full. Then we'll need a new building. Then we'll need more ministers. Then we'll need more helpers. But it's a consequence of what God is doing. Not any man-made vision or any man-made thoughts and aspirations. It's about God. So I want to encourage you. There's so many um, you know, opportunities that we have so many Christians across the world, you know, if they get caught praying, they get killed. Uh, we won't be killed, but we won't, sometimes won't get caught praying. We've got so many opportunities. Devotional life, pray with passion, pray with expectation. We've seen prayers answered. Pray in the DG groups. Get along to the prayer meetings. 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night. Whatever, if you're an early morning person, you know, that's easy. And if you're not, that's easy as well. Uh, the elders, we meet, we have two meetings a month. One of them is devoted to prayer as much as we can. Um, I do believe, I really believe that God is calling us to prayer. Uh, we can seek spiritual gifts, but you know, he said you've still got to ask for them, seek them, knock. We've got to ask, and that's prayer. So let's start being bold as a church. Let's pray for new believers, more baptisms, um, church growth, kingdom growth. Uh, character growth, spiritual growth. Uh, pray for our nation. Pray for our politicians. Pray for the big things. Just see what God will do. Amen? Great. So, I'm going to pray for us and then hand back to John. Father, we thank you for this account given in Acts, the early church. We, we see their passion for prayer and even they were surprised at some of the answers that were given but I pray, Lord, we'd become more and more a New Testament church here, that we'd be really be passionate about our, our prayer. We're passionate about you. We're passionate about your word. We're passionate to worship you. But I feel, Lord, you've been challenging us on prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit and really, really challenge us on our prayer lives, both personally and corporately. I thank you, Lord, that you bear with us. I thank you, I thank you Lord, that you abide with us. And as we pray, I pray, Lord, that we'll look back maybe to this evening and say it was a turning point spiritually. I pray for those demonic influences to recoil because this church is praying in this town and the other churches. 
I pray, Lord, we'll see spiritual breakthroughs and see people set free because we're so, be so bold, not to whimper a prayer, but to be bold and pray passionately and believe for it. So give us those hearts, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.